everyone. Uh, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church. And you get to listen to me for the next half hour. Aren't you lucky? That was, that was sarcasm if you missed it. Those that started clapping, they missed the sarcasm there. But all jokes aside, we, we, we say it often and we will continue to say it often. The preaching of God's word is not about you sitting in rows listening to whoever's speaking. The preaching of God's word is about you positioning your hearts to hear from who? From God. To hear from the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us in truth. And so he may have given me a few things here today to say, but it's your responsibility to hear the voice of the Spirit for your life and for your context and for your circumstances. So let's just invite him right now. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you lead us? Would you guide us in truth? Would you open our eyes to see all that you have for us? God, as we explore your scripture and the word that you've given us, Lord, may we recognize it as the gift that it is. That, Lord, you didn't just call us into this, this faith and this way of living life without giving us the instructions for doing so and the best practices and the best principles for living out this life. We're so thankful for your word. May it take root deep in our hearts. May it find good soil to be planted in. May it bear fruit in our lives for your kingdom's sake and for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the big question for today. Who's ready for the Super Bowl? Okay, you know what I found? Hey, I see that. I see that Eagles jersey. I see that Eagles jersey. You know what? I don't know what it is about Powell River. Nobody watches football here. It's all about hockey, isn't it? It's all about hockey in Powell River. I'm a big football fan. And uh, as I was thinking about this sermon and, and the Super Bowl and all of that, uh, a few years ago, my Seahawks, they made it two years in a row to the big game. Uh, but the last time they made it, they, they made a poor play choice. Let's just put it that way. On the last play of the game, they could have won it two years in a row, and it was intercepted, and I threw myself what we call a pity party. <laughs> Who, who's ever thrown themselves a pity party before? Yeah? You know what? It's amazing the amount of energy it takes to throw yourself a pity party. Not, not only do you have to, you know, be in the dumps, and, and be really expressive with your face and your body language, right? Because we all know with a pity party, 70% of it's body language. But we have to do all of it in front of as many people as we can so that we can garner their pity, right? That's what a pity party is. The party's not a party unless you're inviting people. And so we put this energy into inviting people into asking the question, Lucas, what's wrong? The, the last time I threw a really good pity party, uh, we were set up. We were going to the Caribbean for the first time. Never been to the Caribbean. We're going on a cruise. And just a week and a half before we were going to get on a plane to fly out, I got appendicitis. And I didn't deal with it like I should. I didn't go to the doctor. I just kind of just grunted through it. And I didn't realize what it was. 
And then finally, by the time I got to the doctor, which was a week later, which, by the way, if you even think, if you got a little bit of pain right here, or even a lot of pain, just go to the doctor, get it dealt with, because it, can, it can kill you. Just FYI, public service announcement. And so by the time I went to the doctor and they diagnosed me, they realized it was too, it was too crazy to do surgery because my appendix had flopped over onto my large intestine, and then it had like got encapsulated in this big kind of, what do they call it? They called it a, they called it a something mass. And the problem is they couldn't do surgery because they couldn't tell what was appendix and what was this mass and what was my large intestine. And so they put me on three types of antibiotics, but by that time, I had what our insurance companies like to call a pre-existing medical condition. And, and so that means I could have I went on that cruise, but, but the chances were very high that I would have to pay on my own for a helicopter ride to Cuba where they would then <laughs> do surgery And finally, wisdom kind of came about, and I decided I'm going to stay home. I'm going to, and the rest of the family that went to Cuba. Boy, did I throw myself a really good pity party. That was my last pity party. But it begs the question: What do you do when trials come your way? What do you do? When stuff hits the fan in life and it's unfair and it's not okay and it's an interruption and it's inconvenient, what do you do when trials come your way? What do you do when life throws you a curveball? Well, according to James, the brother of Jesus, he says, we count it all joy. Doesn't that seem very counterintuitive? We count it all joy. Today we're going to begin a new series that's going to take us through the book of James. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with us now to the book of James, right chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. You're going to go to the middle of your Bible and just start going right. James chapter 1. And if you don't have your Bibles, we don't put Scripture on the screen at Evangel. We believe that it's important to what? to have your Bible with you, to mark it up, to highlight, to make notes in the margin. If you don't have a physical Bible, we would love to get you one. If you're a tech person, go to the Google Play Store, the iTunes Store, download a one called YouVersion, w, or Y-O-U version, and it's a great Bible app that'll help you just kind of follow along with us over the course of this series. But James chapter 1 says this, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes of the dispersion, greetings. In his opening statement, James gives us great context for who he's writing to. At this time in, in the, the history of the church, the Jewish Christians are facing persecution. And so the government of that time is coming against the Jewish people, the uh, the Jewish people who have not come to Christ are, are pers persecuting them on the other side. And so there's this dispersion. 
There's a season where the church of Jesus Christ, because of persecution, is getting sent out into all of the known world. They're facing trials. So who is James? Well, there's four Jameses mentioned in the New Testament. There's James, the son of Zebedee, who is the brother of John, who is one of Jesus' disciples. There is James, the son of Alphaeus, who is also one of Jesus' disciples. There was James, who was the father of Judas. Judas was one of Jesus' disciples. And then there's James, the half-brother of Jesus. James, who is the son of Mary and Joseph. So here's what's interesting about this. Most scholars agree that the author of this book of James that we have in our Bible today is in fact written by James, Jesus' half-brother. And, and, and what makes this so interesting is being uh, the half-brother of Jesus, James was a skeptic. The entire time that Jesus was living on this earth and was in ministry, James was a skeptic. And we know that because in John 7, 2-5, it says this, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee, he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, so his brothers, okay, his, his brothers, his family, said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And they're, they're speaking with a, a tone of sarcasm to Jesus here. Because it says in verse 5, For not even his brothers believed in him. Not even his brothers believed in him. The ones who had grown up with Jesus. The ones who have seen him in day in and day out. They didn't believe. And yet, here we see James, the author of, of this, this book, he calls himself what? A servant. He doesn't call himself a servant of God, but he's very specific. He says a servant of God, but also a servant of Jesus Christ. He names his brothers that had been dispersed by persecution and trial. So the question is, what changed? Why, why now is James who was a skeptic during Jesus' life, is now a servant of Jesus. What, what has changed for him? And here's what's changed. James witnessed the resurrection. James witnessed the resurrection. James was in the upper room when Jesus made appearance to his disciples. James was a skeptic of Jesus' claim to be Messiah, because he grew up with Jesus. Yet here, as the younger half-brother of Jesus, he's saying, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. In other words, I recognize him as the perfect Savior. I recognize him as the Lord of my life. James went from skeptic to servant. And, and, and in this case, um, not, James, the book of James is also arguably one of the oldest New Testament books that we have in the New Testament. James is arguably one of the oldest. And why is that important? 
So James was, was written roughly 44 to 62 AD. That means 44 to 62 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, okay? I, I want you to catch this. Let me give you some perspective about history, all right? The earliest recording, recorded writings we have of the life of Alexander the Great, for instance, the earliest recorded writings we have of him are nearly 500 years after his life and death. Okay, Alexander the Great. Yet historians lean heavily upon these writings and find them reliable. All right, 500 years, that's, that's a long time. That's, that's, that's a few generations between his life and when things began to be recorded and written down here we see James writing only 44 to 62 years after Jesus. This, this happened within his lifetime. So if historians can take writing that was 500-year gap and call it reliable, we have one of the most reliable manuscripts of this event in history of Jesus' death and resurrection. And here James is a skeptic in the entirety of Jesus' life, and now he's writing to the churches. He's writing. He's making a public declaration. I, James, a servant of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here and you're you're a skeptic around the ideas that we talk about. And, And by the way, we're so glad that you're here. Um, we, we aspire, you hear a lot, we aspire to be a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, to experience his love and to look more and more like him every day. And so we're glad that you're here. And if you're here and you're a skeptic, just I invite you, I invite you to just linger with us and be a skeptic. Ask your questions. Have your doubts. That's okay. God is bigger than your doubts. And God is bigger than your questions. And in his time, he'll lead you. And he'll guide you to the answers. And so we're just so happy that you're exploring faith in Jesus with us today. But there comes a moment when we come face to face with the resurrected Jesus. If we begin knocking on that door of truth, if we begin asking the bigger questions of life, why am I here? What is this life all about? And we with all intention, want to seek those truths, it's only a matter of time before you are introduced to the resurrected Jesus, just as James was. And it may not look like James where he saw him in bodily form, but the Holy Spirit of God, he'll begin to reveal Christ Jesus to you. And it'll change everything. So, so let's dive into our main text this morning. And so if you're tracking with us, we're in James chapter 1, and we're going to start verses 2 to 4. 2 to 4. This is not a fun verse of Scripture. This is a hard truth, not going to lie, but we're going to delve into it. We don't shy away from hard truths. We ask the Holy Spirit to just really confirm them and convince us. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, And let steadfastness have its full effect, 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James is giving us the gift of perspective. It doesn't always strike us as a gift in the moment, but he's giving us the gift of perspective. So let's, let's work backwards really quickly. To be perfect and complete, like James is saying, we must have steadfastness. But in order to have steadfastness, what do we need? Trials. Trials. Okay. In the Greek, trials means not fun times. I just made that up. That's not true. Trials is not a feel-good word. Trials is fire. Trials are hard. Trials are inconvenient. Trials interrupt your life. And yet, James is saying, in order to grow in maturity, in order to grow and become full-grown, we need trials. So take joy when you face trials. Take joy when you trace... Why? Because James has given us the gift of perspective. Because that's the beginning of what? Becoming full-grown. And becoming men and women of faith in this kingdom that God has established. And remember the audience that James is writing to. He's writing to men and women who have been facing persecution. And and they're having in these moments and in this season of their lives some doubt. Right? They're having doubt. When we come to Jesus, we we, we sometimes think it's going to be all okay. It's going to be all good. It's going to be smooth sailing from here. And then they face persecution. And their friends and their family and their neighbors are being killed for their faith. And they're being dispersed and removed from their homes. And the church is having an identity crisis. And James says, no, 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 have joy when you face these trials. Have joy. Be full of joy when you face these trials. Let me ask you, when it comes to your character, was it forged in the good times or was it forged in the trials and the fires of life? How many of you, let's take a survey, how many of you, you feel that the seasons of life that were just good and smooth sailing, that they affected your faith the most? That they, they caused you to go deep in Jesus? How many of you, you feel that the seasons of trial and fire the seasons that were hard, the seasons where you had to press in and depend were where your faith grew the most. This is the reality of the Christian faith. And, and I, I apologize on, on behalf of, of some of the Western world preachers who, who preach of the good times and the good stuff and there's, there's so much to be thankful for as we come to Jesus. But here's some promises, some hard promises in God's word. That God's going to use trials to build your faith. 
not just the good times. When we lived in the Lower Mainland, we enjoyed going to the Burnaby Village Museum. Who's ever been there? That's a, just a fun little place, and you go, I, I see that hand, Doug, you, uh, you probably have seen the classic cars. They like to drive in there and do their thing. That's awesome. And so we would go, and my favorite spot would be the blacksmith, because that's the only thing that really caught my attention there. I'm not going to lie. We were homeschooling at the time, and it was education. And, but the blacksmith, I would linger at the back. And who's ever watched a blacksmith work? What do they do? They take that, that metal. And, you know, anytime you go to these, they're always making a coat hook, right? They're, I mean, that's, <laughs> I swear, they're not making anything else ever at these things. And so they put what? They put the metal in the fire until it is absolutely red hot, right? Why? Because that's the only time where that metal is now malleable, can be formed, can be shaped, can be moved. And then what do they do? They take it out of the fire. They bring it over to an anvil. They take a hammer and they beat the stink out of it. Right? So what do they, they start with this raw piece of metal and it takes fire and heat and it takes a beating to shape it into something that is now useful for hanging your coat on. Listen, this isn't far off from the reality of this Christian faith at times. I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes, in order for us to become effective in the kingdom of God, in order for us to become useful in building God's kingdom, He has to take us from one place to another place in our growth and in our maturing. And he uses trials to do it. But remember, James says, have joy. Have joy when you face trials. Here, here's the deal. Here's the difference. He isn't putting us in the fire to hurt us. He isn't bringing us to the anvil just to beat us. No, he's shaping us to look more and more like Jesus every day so we can be effective in his kingdom because he loves us. James says, count it all joy when you face trials because there is a work that is going on in you that will bring glory to God. You're being shaped into the image of his son Jesus and the potential that he has placed in you is being realized. So James tells us that the testing of your faith, it's going to produce steadfastness. And this is a very interesting word in the Greek. Steadfastness is, is the Greek word, I'm going to mess it up so bad, hupom an a, hupom an a, which has two root words to it. All right, you ready for this? I thought this was so interesting. Hypo, which is under, means under, and meno, which is to remain. And the word picture that 
James is saying when he uses this word is to remain under. To remain under. Steadfastness is when we begin to default to a place in our lives where we remain under. Remain under who? Remain under what? Remain under Christ, our Savior. James is making reference to your covering. When we face trials, it causes us to make a profound decision to either go it on our own or we run to our Savior, Jesus Christ. When we face trials, that is our time of decision. We either go it on our own, and if you're going it on your own, often that's where we're, 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 we're throwing the best pity parties, okay? Or we get under Christ. And remember in James' opening remark, James is saying this. He's, he's walking this out in front of everybody by saying, James, a servant of Jesus Christ. James is saying, I am under Christ. He is my authority. He is my covering. And so the process of steadfastness is being under. This is the West Coast. Everybody knows what one of these are, right? Who uses these? Right, an umbrella. Now here's, here's the deal. When I'm out in the rain, I'm, I'm, I like, I'm a hair guy, okay? I, when, when, my hair, when my hair just isn't working, I wear a hat. Um, but when it is, I don't like it to get wet because it just like, right? It's no good. And so when I'm out in the rain, I like to have a covering. Now, a lot of you West Coast people, when I moved here from the prairies, a lot of you West Coast people, you're like almost like against umbrellas. It's, it's kind of weird, not going to lie, because this covering can take a rainy day and make it almost even enjoyable for me. When I have a covering, I can go out into the rain and I can enjoy the day because my hair stays good. <laughs> Listen, when we, when we start walking into the storms of life, we have a choice to make. Will we go it alone or are we going to take our covering with us? Are we going to submit ourselves? Are we going to be like James saying, you know what? I am Lucas, servant of Christ Jesus. He's my covering. And, and this is actually, as I, was, as I was back there just kind of praying about the sermon and, and, and this illustration. How many know illustrations? None of them are perfect when it comes to. And, and here's the problem with this illustration. This just talks about protection. We're not even getting into the covering of authority we're not even getting into how when Christ covers us, he gives us the authority that he has to operate in this life and to walk through trials and to face persecution with grace and light and love. That's what his covering does. And so steadfastness becomes this process of making the decision, no, no matter what happens, no matter what life is throwing my way, in the good times and in the bad times, my covering is Christ Jesus. I remain under Christ. The trials that we face are a necessary ingredient 
to the shaping of our faith. Because when life is good, our faith can become easy and shallow. But when life is hitting the fan, when trials are coming our way, and we make the decision to remain under the covering of Christ Jesus in our lives, steadfastness becomes our default. He begins to shape us and change us. We become malleable. We become refined in the fires of trial. Matthew Henry says it this way, we must not sink into a sad and disconsolate state of mind which would make us faint under our trials, but must endeavor to keep our spirits dilated and enlarged the better to take in a true sense of our case and with greater advantages to set ourselves to make the best of it. When you face trials, will you remain under Jesus Christ? So why? What's the purpose of all of this? Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Let seasons of remaining under, let the default of remaining under have its full effect in you. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The word perfect here means to be fully grown, that you may become fully grown. If you want to become a full-grown person of faith, you must remain under Christ and find joy in the trials that you face. Remember, James is giving us the gift of perspective here. When hard times come, what's the perspective? That there's potential for growth. That there's potential for God to take what is now and to use it to shape us to be fully grown in Christ Jesus. Paul says it this way in Romans 5, 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The growing process inevitably involves pain. It inevitably involves pain. Last week I talked about being um, uh, above average height. Um, and, and, and here's the deal. For those of you that are above average height, I'm looking at you, Martin. Uh, there, there's something that happens in your adolescence. I don't, I don't know if this was your experience, but the growing pains. I remember these growing pains that were unbelievable. How many of you have experienced growing pains in your adolescence? And you remember, I remember lying because you grow at night. Did you know that? Your body mostly grows at night. And so I remember waking up in the middle of the night in such pain, my joints 
would be aching, my elbows and my knees and my hips. I'd, be, I'd just be in pain, and it would be enough that it would keep me awake at night. Now, I grew a little bit more than the average person, and so these growing pains, they, they had their effect. But in order to be six foot six, right, Martin, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta face the pain. In, in order to have this kind of stature, you gotta walk through the pain of growing. That's why I'm keeping it covered. It gives me when, when it's longer, I get an extra two inches out of my pompadour. But last week, I also talked about our spiritual stature. Remember that? Remember, you can be, you can be five foot nothing in the physical, but in the spiritual, you can be ten feet tall. But how do you become ten feet tall in the spiritual? How do you become men and women of great stature in faith? There's inevitably growing pain. There's inevitably growing pain. Scripture doesn't always paint a pretty picture of this life. But to those who remain faithful, who remain under Jesus, it paints a fantastic outcome. It paints a fantastic outcome. James is giving us the gift of perspective. Now you might say, Lucas, what about those who have died for their faith? What about those who have, have faced trials that have literally brought them to death's door? What about those who have faced trials that we look at it from the outside and we say, that is completely unfair, Lord, Creator, the one who wove them together in their mother's womb, and, and we kind of question what about these people who face trials that are beyond and the end ultimately was death? And here's what I believe is a scriptural response to your question. We are but a vapor. We are but a vapor. This, this world and this season of time, from the beginning to the end of it is but a blip. It's but a blip. Your lifetime is but a blip. And here's the perspective that Scripture gives us. We are people who are to have an eternal mindset. When we face trials, James is giving us what? He's giving us the gift of perspective. When we face trials, we understand that we're growing in Christ. And we're growing in Christ for eternity. Not just this season, not just this time here on this earth. And the perspective is so much greater and so much bigger than what we see and can touch and hear right now. In the church, in many ways, we've stopped talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, when we talk about the eternal, when we talk about the bigger perspective, 
We, we, we have. We have stopped talking about the second coming of Christ Jesus. We, we've stopped talking about this blessed hope. And it's a shame because it gives us perspective. All of a sudden, our trial, which, which could become a mountain in our life, we start recognizing it as a molehill. Right? Because there's a bigger picture at stake. There's a bigger, bigger picture at play. We recognize that God is with us throughout every step of the journey. James gives us the gift of perspective because it's only when we can see beyond the trial to its purpose in our lives. It's only when we can see the trial for what it is. God's tool for shaping us, for refining us, for making us look more and more like Jesus Christ every day. It's only then that we can count it joy. It's only then that we can count it joy when we're in the midst of the trial because we have a bigger perspective. We see the eternal. We see the implication of what God is trying to do. And you've heard me say before, remember, I, I've said this, um, your faith journey, it's not, it's not just about you, Right? I mean, so many times we think of this, these trials, we think about counting a joy, and we're thinking of it in the context of us becoming more and more like Jesus, of Jesus shaping us and teaching us something. But here's the reality. He's not just doing it for your sake. He's doing it so you can be useful in building the bigger picture, in building his kingdom, because how many know it's all about Jesus? It's all about his story. It's always been about his story. All of scripture from beginning to the end points us to Jesus. All roads lead to Jesus. All lives that remain under his covering, they lead to Jesus. And so as we take joy in trial, we understand that God is shaping us to be useful in building his kingdom, in making Jesus' name famous, not our own. He's shaping us. He's refining us to look more and more like Jesus so we, in turn, can be light in dark places, bringing life everywhere we go. As the worship team comes, let's just bow our heads for a moment. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Let's just wait on him for a moment. It's all about him. It's all about his plan. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord. So for you, for you that are here and you're facing trial right now, 
I can confidently say without a doubt that God is speaking to you. And he's saying, take joy. Count it joy. Count it joy. Because it's an act of love. Sure doesn't feel like it. Sure doesn't feel like it. But that's where faith comes in. That, that's where we begin to ask ourselves the big questions of this journey of faith. Do I believe? Lord, do I trust you? And I would challenge you to just pray the prayer, Lord, give me the grace to remain under. Give me the strength, Lord Jesus, to remain under Christ Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord, as my covering, as my refuge, as my comfort, as my peace, as my joy. Here's what we're going to do this morning. We don't often do this, but we're going to do things a little different. I'm just going to ask everybody to stand, and the worship team is going to lead us. But here's what we're going to do. If you're in a season of life right now where you're facing a trial, whatever it may be, we want to open up what we call the altars here this morning. All right? And there's nothing... There's nothing different between where you're standing and where this is geographically. Like, there's nothing going to... All it is is sometimes we have to take a step. This is just an action, okay? This is just an action to say, Lord, I'm just going to take a step out and I'm going to meet with you. And if you're facing a trial today and you're having trouble counting it all joy... You're having trouble, like we all do, with the perspective of what it's doing in your heart and in your life. Or you're having trouble remaining under the covering of Jesus. And you're facing, like we all do, we're facing doubts and seasons of questioning and wondering and asking the big question, Why? But you would say this morning, you know what? I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to leave my chair. I'm going to take a step of faith. And what we're going to do is just have this altar open. You come stand here and just meet with Jesus. Um, at this point, no one's going to pray with you. Because it's not about anybody else right now. It's about you just coming and just getting under. This is your step of faith to say, Lord, I'm going to step under. And I'm going to remain under your covering through this trial. And I'm going to allow it to produce in me what you need it to produce so I can be useful for your kingdom, so I can grow in the full potential of what you've created in me. So as the worship team just begins to sing and, and lead us, if that's you, if that's you, I'm going to encourage you just to take a step of faith.
and to meet with Jesus today.